Friday, if you got a Bible, turn to the 22nd chapter of Genesis. We looked at a man sacrificing his son last time, and, uh, well, not, <laughs> right? The Lord told him to, and then the Lord stopped him. Uh, God's not into human sacrifice. He was the only one that was going to do that, and uh, just saying that uh, he did that for you and me. And so in verse 14, we left off last time uh, what Abraham called this place, he called it uh, the place where the Lord will provide. And I didn't talk about this uh, last week, but that literally means Jehovah Jireh, which in the Hebrew language, there's not a, there's not a J sound. So it's a, it's a Yah, it's a Jehovah Jireh, and um, that God would, would provide. And uh, he provided an incredible sacrifice for us. Can anyone say amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that is, uh, it's alive, and it's alive with truth. And apart from you, Lord, there is no truth. And so, Father, we just pray that as we look at it today, that you would take it, um, Lord, like an incredible sharp sword that it is, Lord, that it's like a surgeon's scalpel in the, in the midst of our souls. And so, Lord, would you... Um, do what you need to do in each one of us, Lord, as we yield to you and realize that we, uh, we are called to submit ourselves to the God of heaven, to the one who created us in his image, that we might have fellowship with you, O Lord. And Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit, as, as, as our teacher, you tell us that we need no man to teach us, but by your Holy Spirit, you teach us your truths and you lead us into all truth. Lord, there's so many lies out there, and yet by your, your spirit, you uh, reveal them to us that we know that they are. And so, Lord, may we, uh, may we just embrace it uh, with all that we are today, your truth as you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, how you like my flag here? Or our flag. That's our flag. You know, it, it is quite striking, uh, the... Uh, the line that's been drawn in the sand. And you got to pick what side you're on, right? I, I don't know. I, I mentioned that last week. I think so many people are ignorant of uh, the difference between Israel and Hamas. Uh, it's like the difference between life and death. It's like the difference between darkness and light. Uh, I just read this morning where it says that God called his son out of Egypt. Now, many times in the Bible, in, on, on a prophetic word, there is, a, there is a, a, um, an early fulfillment and a later fulfillment. This is, I believe it was in the book of Hosea, right? That God had called his son out of Egypt. And he specifically names Israel. Israel, like a son of God. Um, Israel, you hear all kinds of, of uh, uh, definitions of what Israel means. I've heard governed by God, prince with God, wrestler of God, Israel. But Israel is the people group that God chose, right, to, to uh, bring his covenant through, to bring his Messiah through, to establish his ground. You realize Israel's God's ground. And, and he can do with it whatever he wants. 
He promised it to the descendants of Israel. He didn't promise it to the descendants of Ishmael, right? Or any of the other sons of Abraham. He had other sons by a woman named Keturah. We'll, we'll, we'll meet uh, some of them later. But no, this is, this, is, this is God's choice. It's not that we have to choose sides. Uh, well, I guess it is. You're either under the power of Satan or under the power of God, who you want to be. It's just, the choice is yours. And, and a lot of people, a lot of people are choosing to side with Satan. Now, um, you know, I'm, I'm just glad God's going to sort it all out, right? But I, I just know who I need to align myself with, the Lord Jesus Christ and, and what God's word says. We've been looking this whole time uh, in this life of Abraham. God established his covenant with this man and then promising him this son named Isaac and then all of the descendants of Isaac all the way to Jesus, right, is, is, is um, something that you and I need to be aware of. You should know, if you call yourself a Christian, right, if you call yourself a Christian, you should know about Israel. You should know. You should not be in the dark about this stuff. If it is, it's on you. You're being stupid on purpose, right? So, so learn about Israel. The best way to learn about Israel is to get in the word. And um, because you hear a lot of talk about uh, people against Zionism. Well, Zion, the word Zion is a name, another name. Some believe it's a, it's, it's a name for Jerusalem, right? The city of God. And that the, 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 the God's going to deal with the Jewish people. We read about it in the book of Revelation, seven years. Then Jesus is going to come establish his throne there in the nation of Israel. And, and that is Zionism. Uh, the Jews don't know that. Right, because they think their Messiah is still yet to come. They're they're missing the coming. The second coming of Jesus is when he rules and reigns from from uh, Jerusalem, and that will be the ultimate uh, Zionist city. And uh, people don't realize that when they cuss those who embrace the whole that whole idea, they're cussing God, because God is a Zionist. <laughs> right? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He promised. He said he's going to do it, and he's going to do it. And, um, and he's provided everything for that to happen. And you and I, until that happens, Jesus called us as believers in Jesus to occupy until he comes, to be proclaimers of the good news, to, to know your God, to fulfill the two commandments that Jesus laid out for us there in the gospel of Matthew, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you can fulfill that and live, live that out until he comes. And, and it's exciting because we can do it, even do it in dark days like today when it's, it's kind of wild out there. And people who don't have the hope of Jesus, uh, your heart's getting stirred up. When you, the, the masses that we've seen in D.C., right, uh, is like, oh, my goodness. You know, uh, Amir Sarfati, you know, issued a warning to the Western uh, countries. He says, you'd better wake up. Western Europe, 
U.S., Canada, you're next. You're next. We haven't seen uh, something like that in this country uh, since 9-11, which was, which was kind of impersonal, wasn't it? In comparison to what we would just saw happen on, on October 7th, it was, it was much more um, from a distance even, right? Because it wasn't a face-to-face cutting the head off of our people, right? They just mass murdered with, with jet fuel, um, almost 4,000 people. But I think we could see some all-out stuff simply because of what has been coming across the border, uh, the, the, the different uh, groups that are, hate, are haters, anti-Semitic, and meaning haters of Jewish people. Uh, we haven't seen anything like this since Hitler. And yet, here we are t- talking about the king of the Jews in more ways than one. Abraham's a king of the Jew. Jesus was a king of the Jews. So I don't know about you, but Christians are to love the Jews. Right, just saying. Uh, and so verse 14 says that, that God uh, called this place. It says, the Lord, he called the place, the name of the place, the Lord will provide at it, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, we talked last time that that mount is literally Mount Calvary. That's where Abraham took Isaac, right? Bound him, put him on the altar, and then God rescued him and provided a sacrifice. And, and, um, but it's on this hill that that provision is there today and that thousands of people every single year go to that place and walk up the Via Della Rosa right, the, to the, the way of sorrows up to Mount Calvary or Golgotha. It's pl- called the place of the skull. My brother, when he was there in 1993, I remember him coming home and having a picture. He had taken a picture. Uh, we didn't have phones that took pictures back then. Wow, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Right, we didn't, and, he, and he showed me this picture, and there was this bus station, and then right behind the bus station is this skull in the side of the mountain. I mean, it looks like a skull. It really does. You guys, people that have been there know, but it's, that's where it was. That's where Abraham, that's where God took Abraham to, to show us a picture 4,000 years ago of what he was going to do 2,000 years later. On the hill at Calvary, he was going to provide a way of salvation for you and me. And that message is throughout Scripture. I was just talking to somebody. Reading from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, Jesus Christ is on every single page of Scripture. Every single page. And and this Jehovah Jireh. Now, um, Abraham didn't name this place, notice, uh, uh, according to his experience, because his experience was uh, quite a trial. He didn't name it Mount Trial, or he didn't name it Mount Agony, or Mount Obedience, or even Mount Faith, being the father of faith. He didn't name it that. But he named the hill in reference to what God did. What God did there. And he named it, Knowing God would provide the ultimate sacrifice for salvation on that hill someday with Jesus. 
Now, in verse 14, there is an interesting phrase, and it says, it says, as it is said to this day. Now, you know who wrote the book of Genesis, right? Adam. No, I'm just kidding. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So Moses wrote this, and it says, and as it is to this day. Well, this is some 400 years after the fact um, that Moses writes this down. So Moses is writing the book of Genesis, and he recognizes that God did provide, and it, it pointed to the ultimate sacrifice when God would provide him for himself. Or literally, as we looked last week, God provided himself a sacrifice. The great uh, British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he says this about it. God provided a ram instead of Isaac. This was sufficient for the occasion as a type, because that's what Isaac was, was just a shadow or a type. But that which was typified by the ram is infinitely more glorious. In order to save us, God provided God. I cannot put it more simply, says Spurgeon. He did not provide an angel nor a mere man, but God provided himself. He was that sacrifice. He wasn't going to have anybody else do it but himself for you and me. I mean, who else could do it? Who else could actually absorb the sin of the world? You can't. For crying out loud, I can't even absorb my own, and I got lots of them. But God is the one who was going to absorb the sin of the world. Salvation provided for us. So, like I said before, so many people go there every year to see this place um, it was, it was salvation not for those, just those who would believe, but a, a, a provision was made for the whole world, it tells us in 1 John. That Jesus came to die for sinners, and, and not just sinners only, but the whole world. Jesus came. That's because we're all sinners. I love Acts chapter 4 where Peter uh, is talking and he said, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that was given among men by which we must be saved. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellently speech of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the provision. God dying for the salvation of man. R.C. Sproul, the great theologian who died here just a few years ago, says, Paul was a man who had the equivalent of two PhDs in theology by the time he was 21 years of age, a man who wrote with great insight on the whole scope of theology. Nevertheless, he said that the focal point of his teaching, preaching, and ministry among the Corinthians was simply Jesus Christ and him crucified. His focus was Calvary. That was his focus, where the Blood flowed from 
the body of Christ Jesus for us. But also, also in this picture of Abraham and Isaac is the, is the picture of the resurrection. And, and that is because to Abraham, Isaac was dead for three days. When God told him, you go, go take your son, your only son. He says it three times in this chapter, your only son. Now we know physically He's not his only son, but he's the son of promise. He is the one that the Messiah would come to. Take your only son and offer him, he says, listen, as a burnt offering. In Abraham's mind and heart, his son was just a charred piece of ash. That's what his son was. Now, I don't know if you got sons or not. I got a couple sons. Though I do want to kill them sometimes. It's a fleeting thought. Not so much as they've gotten older. Now they want to kill me. <laughs> but I can't imagine doing that, right? But to him, they he was dead. Isaac was dead. He was preparing his heart. You ever done that with a loved one? You know, it's probably getting close. You're trying to prepare your heart for the loss of this loved one. And... It's almost like we could never be totally prepared. And, but when you can look at that with the hope of the resurrection, so when Abraham takes that knife and gets ready to plunge it, plunge it into the chest of his son and then start the wood on fire, and the angel of the Lord speaks, oh, Resurrection. Can you imagine the joy? Oh, praise you, Lord. I don't have to. He's alive. Who was dead. That's just a powerful thing, right? The resurrection is the most powerful idea that humans can possess. It's, it's, the, it's the most powerful thing in my life is the resurrection from the dead. Uh, it's why I can live my life with a smile, even in dark times, even with loss of life. Uh, it's, it's powerful. Actually, this whole story, I'm going to go to the New Testament now. This whole story can be summed up, summed up in the book of Philippians, right? And I'm going to go there. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. And, uh, and there's, there's seven thoughts I want to I share with you. Um, and my printer only printed half my words, so if it gets kind of confusing, that's why. I'm going to read the first, uh, I'm going to read uh, verse 7 through 11. It says, but what things are gained to me, this is the Apostle Paul talking about the gospel, about this whole sacrifice and the raising of the dead of Jesus and his ascending into glory and all that. It says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Another name for rubbish is dung. Or as I was talking to some folks earlier, manure. Yeah, if you, 
we were talking, if you ever get to thinking too highly of yourself, just uh, think of the word manure in the first three letters. Some of you are a little slow. <laughs> right? Here we are. In all our glory, right? About ready to get flung all over the place. Um, And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, you and I ain't got none, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, check this out, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Right? These are, this is a mouthful that Paul is throwing at us right here. Right? First, he says, it's all a pile of poo. Right? In contrast, all you got your whole life, right, in contrast to Jesus, is nothing. Um, the Lord calls us to lay it all down. Um, so it's just a pile of poo in comparison to gaining Christ Jesus. Because when you, when you, listen folks, when you have Jesus, you have everything. When you have Jesus, you have everything. Now, do we get to experience everything here? No, we don't. Uh, but we get to experience uh, a lot of good stuff here. And it's going to get gooder when we get to heaven. Abraham had a lot of stuff, but on that three-day journey, nothing mattered to him. Nothing. Except his boy. Nothing mattered at that point. We see him chopping wood, Right? He could have had, he could have, he had all kinds of servants. They could have been chopping wood. He saddled his own donkey, right? He could have had, he's got all kinds of servants. That's all he could think about was his boy, was that sacrifice. It consumed him. Does the sacrifice that God did for you, does it consume you? Because it should. It should consume you. Secondly, he was found to be righteous. Why was he found to be righteous? Because he obeyed the law? There was no law at that time except for the law that, that Moses, or Noah had received after he came off the ark. The Ten Commandments hadn't come yet. The 613 Hebrew laws hadn't come yet. He was found righteous. And it tells us in the New Testament, Abraham, God counted him righteous because he believed God. He, by faith, he believed God's word. So he had a righteousness, Abraham did, because he believed. Thirdly, to know him. You know Jesus? Is he kind of distant? He should be getting closer. You should be getting closer, right? Because I'm telling you what, he's getting closer to coming back. And, and uh, it might come sooner than you think. So now is a really good time to be right with your God, to know him, to know him. Abraham is called a friend of God. 
He knew him. And anyone worth their salt, I think, would want that, wouldn't you? Would want to be a friend of God. Fourthly, to know him. Fourthly, to know the power of his resurrection. Everybody says, amen. That's pretty cool. The power, the the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You think about that for a minute. Some think that there was such an incredible, I don't know what it was, a chemical or light reaction that created the Shroud of Tyran, right? That it, it burned the image of the face of Jesus into that cloth that when that happened. That's what some think. No, no. Doesn't matter. Fact is, the dude rose from the dead. All of history uh, is, is, has been changed by that fact. And that it's historical and that it's, it's archaeological and it's, it's, it's truth. Because I've said it over and over again is the resurrection. If it didn't happen, what are we doing here? We should be at a roping or a barbecue or a, you know, regatta or something. We should be somewhere other than here wasting our time. If it didn't happen, nothing matters. If it did happen, it's the only thing that matters. Fifthly, fellowship. Right? Fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, people say, time out. I don't like that one. I don't want to fellowship with Jesus' sufferings. He went through too much. I I don't think I could do that. Well, you can't. And I can't. With his help, we can't. And he calls us to it. You have to realize this is a calling uh, for us. It's, it's a partnership. It's a part, uh, participation of spiritual fellowship. Fellowshipping with his sufferings. You remember Jesus in, in Luke chapter 13, he says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not. Might be able. The word strive means to agonize. We don't like agony. We want it to be nice and fluffy and comfortable. But he says no. Enter through the narrow gate. It's it's narrow. It's it's laborious. It's it's hard. This Christian life isn't easy. If you think it's easy, you're not a, I don't know. Okay, I'm not going to say it, but anyway. Sixthly, sixthly, to be conformed to his death. That's even worse than the suffering. You mean I got to die? Yeah, you got to die. What do we see here? Isaac's willingness to die? The son's willing, Right? Years ago, I watched a movie about Abraham and his son. And of course, in the movie, they depicted, they depicted Isaac as a little boy. And, and I remember in the movie, Richard Harrison played Abraham. And he grabbed Isaac and he sets him on the wood. And he takes a leather thong and he starts winding his hands together. And the little boy looks at his dad and says, do it tighter, dad. Do it tighter. Right? For the joy set before him, the Bible says Jesus went to the cross. Right? Do it tighter. 
They drove the nails deep. The spear pierced the pericardial sack, and water and blood gushed out. He was willing to die. And then, like I said last week, folks, he won't ask you to do something that he wasn't willing to do. But he does say, if you're going to follow me, you've got to die. You've got to die to your selfish ambitions. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I promise you, you will have all that you need and then some. Because you can't outgive God. And if you lay down your life for him, he will open the windows of heaven. Now, it's not promised that we're going to have eternal bliss here in the here and now, but who would want it? Seventhly, Last of all, sixthly, he's conformed to his death, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that the bottom line? Right? You take your last breath. Lord, I don't want to stay here in this grave. I don't want to stay in that place of torment where we see the rich man there in Luke 16, where he says, I'm tormented in this flame. Send somebody to give me relief. And Abraham speaks to him and says, son, he calls him son. Son, remember, in your lifetime, you had good things, but you didn't help anybody. You kept them all for yourself. You didn't die to yourself. Now, you are being tormented. He wasn't willing to die in this life. That we might be able to attain. I love that word attain. It means to arrive. <laughs> Don't you want to arrive at heaven's shore? Or the shores of the lake of fire. Because that's the bottom line for the unrighteous dead. As Abraham said, there's a, there's a gulf fixed. You can't cross from there to here, nor vice versa. Seal your eternity now. You don't get a chance after you die. So many people, well, God will be gracious to me when I die. Who said? Right? No, you have, to, you have to act on the grace of God in the here and now. The Bible says it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. God passes a judgment on you when you take your last breath. Your decision needs to be made by then. That I might attain to the resurrection. Well, verse 15. Back in Genesis now. Chapter 22. It says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the sea, which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And so the Lord shows up here. After the fact, after the, the ram is sacrificed and the Lord shows up and he swears an oath, right? He swears an oath. He says, I alone, I'm the one who's swearing this oath. This is 
determined by me. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 says, for when God made the promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He says, in blessing, I'm going to bless you. And in multiplying, I'm going to multiply you. This is exactly what he had said. God's confirming his covenant. What he said, clear back in chapter 12, 10 chapters ago. God said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. Because of what? Because of faith? Yeah. But specifically, his seed. When it talks about the seed of Abraham, it's singular. It's not seeds. Right? We would see, we would see Ishmael, the Ishmaelites and the Israelites as seeds of Abraham. He's talking very specifically about the seed of Abraham which is Christ Jesus. And because of that seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed, everyone who embraces Jesus. With what we know to be true about Christ, why is it that so many won't embrace him? Why is that? It's, it's, it's really fascinating to me when you really look at it. I mean, no other religious guru in the world ever did and said what he did. I was just talking to a guy here a while back that had read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, and just when he came to that place where Lewis is talking about Jesus, he's either a lunatic or he's a liar or he's Lord. Because the things he said was absolutely insane if they're not true. And so I'm going to have to turn back to Philippians because of my um, poor printing here. And the verses 12 through 16, we're going to read it real quick as we close today. Philippians Chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And it says this, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on. Right? So these things we just went through in the previous verses, the seven things, I haven't totally attained them. Have you? Right? Are you all that you should be? No, we all got work to do. And I'm convinced that that, that that transforming of our lives and, and, and changing from glory to glory happens throughout a lifetime till we're dead. And then all of a sudden we see Jesus face to face. And, and, and then we're complete. We're totally complete. And so he says, not that I have attained already or am already perfected, I'm not perfect, but I press on, right? I keep pursuing Jesus, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, here you go, here's a challenge, are you mature? Spiritually speaking, where are you at in your spiritual walk? 
See, you're always going forward. Might be inching. You might just be inching. If you're standing still, you're sliding back. Right? It's, it's like a team of horses that are pulling up a hill. Right? And they, they teach those horses to draft that load. And sometimes the load's so heavy, when they stop, they automatically start coming back. A good team learns how to not go back, but to keep pushing forward. Because if you're not going forward, you're backsliding, right? That you can't coast as a believer. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. In other words, if you're pursuing Jesus, desiring to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to show you where you need work in your life. Things that maybe you need to let just slough off. God will reveal this even to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Something that's really powerful about the Word of God is you either agree with it or you don't. And when you get a bunch of people together that agree on God's word, and like Paul said, you're all saying the same thing, right? You're all saying the same thing. That's what maturity does. When you walk with Jesus, when you walk by faith, when you understand your position in Christ and realize that he has got, he's got things for you to do, not because... Not to get right with him. He's got things for you to do simply because we're not to be idle, right? True faith works. You know, you don't work to prove your faith or you don't work to, to prove your love for God, right? You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to get approval from God by working. You work because you're so grateful that God loves you. That's why you work. Notice he says he's going to multiply him as the stars of heaven, as the sandals, which is on the seashore. According to Dr. Henry Morris, a rough calculation of the number of stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore are the same as 10 to the 25th power. Yeah, I don't understand all that, big, those big numbers. That's 25 zeros. That's a lot of zeros, right? That's, how, that's God's multiplication process. And you, as you look back over history, it's amazing that, the, that your descendants and, and those who are going to be blessed by you are as the sand of the, of the seashore and the stars in the heaven. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because they have obeyed my voice. The Messiah, the only Son of God, came that all the nations of the earth would know. Would know. That's why Jesus came is that you would know him, that you would know these things we went through, that you would have the confidence that when you take your last breath, you're going to be in glory. We have lost a lot of saints just out of this body over the last few years. And I have been like, it's been overwhelming to watch them die because they leave this world with such an incredible confidence when they take their last breath. And Justin just preached a great message at uh, Norm Frank. He was the little old guy that sat right here. He was 98 years old. He always had a walker with a cowboy hat on. And uh, 
And he, came, he drove to Sunday, one Sunday, and the next Sunday, he was in the presence of Jesus. Now, if I lived to be 98, I want to be able to do that. But, but Norm, and I, I'm going to close with this. Norm, at the end of his life, he had, his, his, his kids had taken him in church. And Norm was, uh, I would say he was an old cowboy, so he's pretty conservative, right? He's a pretty, pretty conservative worshiper. You didn't see him, you know, dancing around with his walker or any of that. He was pretty conservative. But he had went to this, he had went to this, this church with his, and, and one of the gals behind him was pretty excited about Jesus and was swaying and raising her hands. And uh, they asked him, they said, Norm, so what did you think of the service? He goes, well, it was pretty good other than that gal behind me was roping steers. He didn't, he didn't know quite what to think of that. But he had come to a service. Was it here, Mindy, that he'd come to a service? He'd come to a service here, and Mindy was doing uh, I'll Fly Away. And Norm stood up, and he had tears streaming down his face. And old Norm went to rope and steers. <laughs> and you can do that. When you know where you're going, right? It's a, it is, it is a, an exciting thing. So I, I'm just going to challenge you. Go to uh, Philippians and, and read through chapter 3. And, and uh, just compare your life to the Apostle Paul, what he says about himself, right? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so it is with us. You just have to make sure you know who you're following. Because I see these people, they're just getting in the current and getting sucked downstream, and they have no idea what they're doing in this world today. They're like embracing darkness. And I don't think they're even doing it on purpose. They're doing it out of ignorance. God gave us a word, right? I am probably one of the worst readers in this room. But I try to put this word in my heart on a daily basis. And if I don't, I start leaning on my own understanding. The Bible condemns that, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And if there is ever a time when we need our paths directed, it's right now. Amen? And so uh, embrace Him. Draw close to Him. Because God is going to present uh, people in front of you. He's going to present open doors uh, for ministry. Depending on your maturity level and where you're at in this life, God is going to use your life. But you have to yield to Him. You have to die to yourself. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this incredible story, Lord, that points to that beautiful sacrifice, a payment that uh, none of us in this room had the resources to pay. And, and yet you paid it for us. And so, for, Lord, for that, we're overwhelmed, truly, with gratitude. And so, Lord, I just pray that today, there, if there's any here today that need to draw close, they need to draw close to the Lord in these times. Lord, with the confusion that's out there, who do you listen to? Who do you follow? And you've called us to listen to you, your word. 
and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who went before us. Lord, you, you're our example. You showed us how to live this life, and, and you did it selflessly, and that's what you call us to. So may we find ourselves, Lord, in that place of, of growing. Lord, we may be in the, in the baby food stages. We may be in the toddling stages. Or some of us are getting close to the finish line. But help us to finish well and to do it with the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.